Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Good to be back with you. Uh, missed you guys last week. I was uh, out preaching at our mother church on the west side. Good to be with those guys, see what they do over there. But definitely good to be back here with you this morning. I'm looking forward to talking about the gospel this morning. Looking forward to talking with you guys about suffering and judgment on this Lenten Sunday morning. But before we get there, I want to take a moment to talk about some trips that are coming up this summer, um, and I want to just take a moment to give you guys some vision about why we're doing what we're doing and how they fit into kind of who we are trying to become as a people. The first one, and I would say the most important on our list, is happening in May. Our church is going on a vacation together. We call it the Trinity Retreat. It's going to happen at Sharp Top Campground up in Jasper, California, in northern Georgia. <laughs> I'm just, Jasper, Georgia. Sorry, I'm still in the wrong state. There's some Californians back there, and they're tripping me up. I'm not going to look at them the whole service. I'm going to talk to Susan. No, sorry, where are we? We're in Georgia. Um, what I want you guys to know, how this fits into what we're doing here. Our vision of a church is actually a very thick family, a place of deep love and a place of trust, a place where people really know each other and really care for each other. And if you think about the folks that you want to invite to church, like your neighbors that don't go to church, think about it. You really don't want to invite them into anything less, right? Like as Christians, we're actually called to be a pretty tight-knit group. And so the question is, how are we going to become that, right? Well, there's a lot of different ways we do that. Like we just launched community groups and I'm already hearing amazing reports of people connecting in those groups that had never connected before and relationships being forged. But at the end of the day, we just need some time, right? Like we actually need to spend some time together. And so I don't know what the vision has been in the past, but just going forward, I'm gonna let you guys know that I wanna have a retreat every year. This year, we gotta get to kind of jump in with the mother church and they're gonna kind of make it easy for us, right? Because they're gonna organize it and, and we, for the most part, just have to show up. But I see this retreat as not just some kind of like option on the side. I really wanna encourage us to lean into this and to start to kind of vacation together every year. It's just like, to be honest with you, like organizations that are healthy, they actually don't just work together, they play together. Like we need time just to like, have fun together with like no big agenda, just kind of sit around and enjoy life together, enjoy each other's presence. And so I'm just sharing with you, for me, this retreat isn't just like this extra thing on the side. It's like, I really want us all to go. And so on that weekend, we're not planning on having church here. We'll have church up there and it'll be great. And I wanna encourage you guys to sign up. Now, some of us for like time constraints can't make it for the whole weekend. I encourage you come up for a day, maybe come up for all day Saturday. Maybe just come up for church on Sunday. That's great. Some of us are constrained by budget. It costs a little bit to go up there, especially for a whole family, right? We want no one not to go based on budget. And so I wanna encourage you, if you're in a spot where things are tight, believe me, I get it. Just let us know. There is on the form. You can like use the code financial aid or just send me an email and we'll work with you and make sure that we can all go. Trust me there'll be enough money to cover everybody. And so we want you to go, uh, and I wanna have an amazing time up in the mountains with you guys. So that's the thing that I really want everyone 
to the best you can, lean into it. I realize things are still weird, right? It's still like COVID. Some of us are like barely here. And the thought of going to some campground in close quarters with a lot of people over a weekend, that just feels like, you know, still wild to you. So I, we recognize that. Maybe this year isn't gonna be your year. Um, I'm just kind of letting you know a vision uh, for the future. I think this space is gonna be important for our church uh, in the years to come. The second trip I wanna let you know about is in June, and um, it's a trip to visit Lamb, which is a ministry that we support, started by Susie McCall, who's an amazing priest in our diocese, and she went to Honduras about 30 years ago. And she's just an amazing, wonderful, hardcore missionary, and she's my friend. And I'm super excited about her and her ministry. She's actually from Charleston, South Carolina, just right down the road. Uh, from one of our sister churches, St. Peter's, Mount Pleasant. And she's just doing amazing work. And the thing has grown. And she started this orphanage and it cares for kids. And there's a school uh, that's associated with it for underprivileged kids there. And the ministry has grown so much, it's not even run by her anymore. It's run by Hondurans. And so she gets to just be there, kind of like the visionary like mother and grandmother of it. She's also adopted several kids. She's just a hero for me. So I've been wanting to go for a long time. And recently I got an email from um, St. David's Episcopal Church just down the road here in Roswell. And they said, hey, they've been going down there to work with Susie for a long time. They said, hey, we're going to take a trip. Would you guys be interested in coming? And I thought, hey, what a great opportunity for folks in our congregation to be connected with another parish just down the road and kind of team up. No, the, the way they do it, they often take a lot of teenagers. So half their group, I think, is usually uh, kids in high school and then, you know, parents and, and that kind of thing, which I think is wonderful. I don't know about you guys, but uh, going on trips like this when I was a kid was super formative uh, for me. This, for me, how I think about something like this, in some ways I can think about it as pilgrimage. In a sense, when you go on pilgrimage, you're going to encounter God in a new way, Right? Maybe you're going to the Holy Land and you want to kind of see Jesus in a new light. And I think when we go to places like this, it's a chance to see the face of Christ anew in ways that we might not encounter him in our everyday life here. And I think sometimes when we have those encounters, when we come back, we come back changed. And we start to see Christ in places here that we might not have seen. And so, whereas the first trip is like, I want everyone to lean into it as much as you can. We recognize this next trip um, is going to work for some of us more than others. Uh, next Sunday, some folks from St. David's and Roswell are going to come, and they're just going to share a little bit about it at the service. And then after the service, they're going to have an info meeting. And I just want to encourage you, if you're just even interested in the work, stay after for that info meeting, get to know more about that trip. All right. And then the final trip, which happens a little later in July, is an Israel study tour. So the same church that Susie McCall comes out of is the same church uh, that uh, Pastor A.J. Sherrill is going to be leading this trip. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys know A.J., but he's written some books on like spirituality and the Enneagram. Um, he was at some larger churches. Uh, you might know some kind of well-known evangelical churches. And uh, he's got a very, he's got a big heart for kind of rediscovering the Jewishness of Jesus and understanding Jesus in his Jewish context. 
And so he's got this uh, study tour that he put together where he's going to be teaching on the Bible, kind of in the places, the very places where these things are happening in the, in the Bible. And whereas I recognize I would want all of us to go uh, to Sharp Top, few of us are probably going to want to go to Honduras. This trip is even like more for a few of us. But I want to throw it out there uh, to you guys if you're interested. Basically, he had invited uh, Chris McDaniel, who's the pastor at our mother church on the west side to lead this trip. And Chris was scheduled to lead it. And so Chris called me up and he said, hey, John, I'm not actually going to be able to lead this trip. Would you consider leading it? Maybe some folks on the north side would be interested in going. And I connected with AJ and I'm like, okay, we'll kind of look into this and lean into it. So if you're here and that's something that God's put on your heart, like, hey, I want to go to Holy Land. I want to see Jesus in a new light. Like I want to discover maybe just more about him and his in the context. Um, we're going to have a meeting about that also next Sunday at 7 p.m. on Zoom. So wanted to let you know a little bit about those meetings. I know I sent the email about it, um, but it's kind of a lot. And so I wanted to just kind of share a little bit about the heart. Feel free to stop me after the service and ask about any of those. All right. Well, with no further ado, let us now get into our text this morning. Has anyone seen uh, the Netflix film, Don't Look Up? Um, it, it stars Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Jennifer Lawrence, and Leonardo DiCaprio plays this guy named Dr. Randall Mindy, and uh, Jennifer Lawrence plays Kate DiBiaschi, and they are kind of, um, you know, uh, these considered low-level astronomers who must go on a giant media tour to warn mankind of approaching comet that's going to destroy Earth. So the whole premise is like the Earth's about to blow up and die. And so now they, they're going to go ahead and convince everyone they need to do something. And I'm not really giving away the plot. I think you can see it in the previews. No one's really responding well to their warnings, right? Like everyone really is going to die, uh, but no one really wants to do anything for various reasons. And Dr. Mindy is a prophet of sorts. He has a message of impending doom, and he beckons the world to make the necessary changes it must make if it wants to live. And in that sense, he is kind of similar to the old prophet, the Old Testament prophets we find in the Bible. They showed up on the scene, and they warned of God's judgment looming on the horizon. And then it turns out that Luke's gospel is actually trying to show us Jesus in a similar light is inviting us to see Jesus in a long line of prophets. And so the message of Jesus in Luke 12 and 13 is actually very similar to the same thing we read today in Isaiah. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. You see, God's agenda for you is life and not death. And so seek the Lord while he may be found. Now is the time to act. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Jesus is going around telling people there is another way. There is a way other than your own. And it turns out that that way is the way that leads to life 
and the path you're on, unfortunately, is the path that leads to death. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. My thoughts are higher than yours. And so change your mind. God is looking for fruit, looking for repentance and a faith that is demonstrated in acts of hospitality and justice and mercy. One day, as Jesus is teaching the people and warning them about impending judgment, some folks from the crowd come up and they interrupt him with some breaking news. There are two headlines, actually. Both are related to horrific human suffering. The first headline is this. Ruthless dictator orders Galilean pilgrims to be cut down while in the act of offering sacrifice. Grueling, heart-wrenching. We aren't sure why, but Pontius Pilate thought it was in the interest of national security to kill some Galileans who had come to Jerusalem to make sacrifices in the temple. We don't know. Perhaps they were zealot revolutionaries. Surely they thought they were safe inside of the temple. Surely they were wrong. Pilate desecrated the temple by allowing their blood to be mixed with that of their own sacrifices. And then there's the second headline. Tower of Siloam Falls, leaving 18 dead and several more wounded. Today, if you go to Jerusalem, you can see the pool of Siloam, which is near the wall in the city. And evidently, there once stood a tower next to it. And it fell, resulting in the death of Jerusalemites. And these kind of headlines are familiar to us, aren't they? There are two kinds of suffering here. The first kind of suffering is the result of human malevolence. It reminds us of the heartbreaking news that we receive from the Ukraine. Putin is, in a sense, a present-day pilot causing needless human suffering and death in the name of national security. This kind of suffering is deliberate and intentional. And then there's a second kind of suffering, which is unintentional. The one, no one built the Tower of Siloam hoping that it might fall. In our time, COVID is like Siloam, not the result of human intention but nonetheless, unfortunate and tragic. And when towers fall and when pandemics happen, we ask, why? Why is this happening? Certainly, there were some thoughtful Christians who at the time that COVID was breaking were asking questions about God's judgment and if humanity, for one reason or another, might be to blame. There actually seems to be enough stories in the Bible and even prayers in our own liturgy that might fund such an imagination. Why is this happening? People want to know. Is this God's judgment? But Jesus neither confirms 
nor denies divine action related to these tragic events. And neither does he go off into a treatise about divine suffering. As one commentator, Joel Green, put it, in fact, Jesus' reply does not deny sin its consequences, nor that sin leads to judgment. Instead, he rejects the theory that those who encounter calamity have necessarily been marked by God as deserving judgment more than those who do not. Jesus' message is this. Don't think that those people who died were worse sinners than you. In fact, unless you repent, the same thing will happen. Repent or perish is his message. Jesus started out his ministry announcing the year of the Lord's favor, announcing good news for the poor and healing the sick and welcoming those on the margins and announcing the coming kingdom. But at this moment, he is in full-on prophet mode and he is beginning to sound more like his cousin, the forerunner, John the Baptist, who came on the scene preaching repentance and saying, even now the ax is at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. God is looking for genuine faith, which produces obedience, acts of love, mercy, justice, and hospitality. And so Jesus completely flips their question. They are asking, why do a few people suffer death? And what Jesus says is what you should be asking is, why haven't all of you already suffered this kind of death? It's a jarring question. He tells them a parable. The owner of a, a garden had planted a tree expecting it to grow fruit. And then he comes to the gardener. He says, hey, this tree hasn't bore us any figs. Let's cut it down. And then the gardener says to him, no, wait. Let me go ahead and fertilize it with some manure. Let's suspend judgment. We're gonna fertilize it and wait one more year. And if it bears fruit next year, good. But if not, you can cut it down. Jesus tells a story about God's temporary clemency. God is slow to anger and he is rich in love. God is reluctant to give us the judgment that we deserve. God is not wanting to give us over to our own ways. As it says in 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not slow about his promise regarding the day of judgment and destruction of the godless as some think of slowness, but he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. We spoke of two tragic headlines earlier about human suffering, but there is one more tragic headline about suffering that we should mention as well. It takes place a few years later 
in 70 AD. And the headline reads like this. Roman legions lay siege to Jerusalem, destroying the temple, killing tens of thousands of Jews and enslaving more. Unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. What did Jesus mean by repent? Certainly not give up your private sins, as N.T. Wright puts it, but turn from your headlong flight away from God's mercy, away from your quest for your own national salvation by rebellion against Rome. And unless you give it up, Roman swords and falling stone work will be your lot, not as an arbitrary punishment from a vengeful God, but as a direct result of the way you have freely chosen, following your own thoughts rather than God's thoughts. You see, Jesus warned these precious people what would happen if they continued on their path if they continued the pursuit of God's kingdom without God's Messiah, if they insisted on taking up their swords instead of their crosses, this would be the way that leads to certain death. And sadly, they chose God's, they chose their own ways over God's ways. They chose their own thoughts over God's thoughts. And within 40 years of Jesus making this prophecy, the temple was destroyed and with it, their entire way of life. There is a tension in this story and the tension that is present in this story is actually present within the entire story of the Bible. We could say it like this. God does not want to let us go our own way. And God will not force us to choose his way. We confess this tension daily in the words of the Apostles' Creed. We say he suffered under Pontius Pilate. And about the same person we say, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. When we tell the story about how Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, we are telling a story about how God put an end to judgment. By entering our story, entering our pain, knowing what it is like to be hungry and poor, knowing what it is like to be rejected and betrayed, knowing what it is like to be on the receiving end of state-sponsored violence. When we say he suffered, we mean to say he suffered for us. He suffered and died for the sins of the world, and in doing so, he put an end to judgment. His suffering equals the end of judgment. 
But then we also tell a story that sounds a little different. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. And this is a story about how Christ will return to judge the world. And in doing so, he will put an end to all human suffering. When the judge comes, he will deal with all the forces that cause human suffering, whether human or forces of nature, whether Putin or Pilate or COVID or cancer. And then the text says at the end, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. His judgment is the end of suffering, just like his suffering is the end of judgment. And this morning, perhaps there is an invitation for us to live into the tension. God does not want us to go our own way, but perhaps God might end up allowing us to go our own way. There is an imagination that perhaps God might also be looking for a similar fruit in us that he was looking for in Israel, in the tree we call Atlanta or America or the church. Maybe he is wanting to fertilize your life holding out that this year might be the year that you bear fruit. God grant us grace to choose a way other than our own. Amen.